Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, Tony Jones, my colleague over at The Athletic, is here. We're going to talk about a few different things. Obviously, the Kyrie Irving news, him getting together a big group of players to discuss whether or not they want to restart uh, in a meeting on Friday was an enormous news story uh, throughout all of the sports world, seemingly. Uh, And it brought up a lot of issues that I think are worth discussing. Uh, Then we're going to talk about the bubble in general and what we think of the bubble. Finally, we are going to talk about the NBA draft because I know that Tony has some ridiculous, awesome, fun NBA draft takes. So, Tony, how are you doing, man? I'm good, bro. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. It's been too long. It's been too long. I've been like, we've been like texting back and forth like for a couple months and just trying to find the right time. And uh, we haven't been able to up until now, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, like I'm dealing with some stuff on my end in terms of, uh, you know, things that are taking up my time, which is part of the reason that the podcast, like this is the first podcast I've recorded in, I think like two weeks. Uh, I think that this is the first podcast that I've recorded since the protests around the country uh, started happening. So like, obviously I just want to note at the top, like, you know, I certainly stand for everything that Black Lives Matter stands for, um, everything that uh, everyone is fighting for right now. Uh, I am certainly in favor of finding a way to defund the police because we live in a state that is uh, far too contingent upon funding those uh, who are already in positions of power. And I think that it just results in, uh, unfortunately, a disproportionate number of people of color and specifically black Americans that are affected by police and police brutality. So uh, I just want to note that at the top, uh, just because I haven't said anything about it on the podcast. But, um, you know, I think that uh, more than that, I have been kind of dealing with some other stuff here on the back end of the podcast is the reason why I haven't podcasted for two weeks. Well, did you listen to my podcast? I didn't. What uh, what did you talk about on your podcast? I mean, me and Zach, we talk about like everything, but I mean, you know, if you didn't podcast for two weeks, you know, my podcast could have just been like filler for, you know, the silence of your podcast for the last two weeks. I, I suggest everyone goes and listens to Game Notes. Uh, over at the Athletic Network. like Definitely listen in and subscribe to Game Notes. Subscribe to Game Notes. Uh, Tony and Zach do a great job. Uh, go subscribe to Hoops Adjacent. Uh, they've been doing great work talking about, uh, you know, a lot of the issues facing players who are obviously uh, largely black across the NBA. I think that a lot of the issues that get discussed on that show are really important. Uh, I'm trying to think what other – do we have any other podcasts that have been discussing it uh, pretty regularly at the Athletic? Um, just the entire podcast network, um, you know, I think that we've been pretty proactive, um, on, on, you know, identifying the real issues, um, raising those issues on the podcast and talking about those issues. And, um, you know, I think it's one of those things where, um, a lot of the writers that, that, you know, we work with and that we know we've, you know, used our, our collective platforms to, uh, to try and bring the conversation, uh, you know, that's really uh, prevalent right now to the forefront. Yeah, and I think that it's worth uh, just saying at the top here that if you're looking for places to donate, uh, I, I would say Campaign Zero is a great place to start. Uh, they're doing 
great work trying to figure out the issue uh, of police brutality across the country. Uh, I would say to donate to Black Lives Matter. Uh, do you have anywhere else that you think is a good place to donate? Um, you know, just uh, I would, to, to be honest, I, I would donate to, to any um, organization that's designed to 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 uh, combat voter suppression. Um, yeah, I've been doing that too. Fair Fight 2020 is a good one because that is that is a real thing, and it's always been a real thing. And and I uh, thought it was a real thing in in 2016, and I think it it is something that that has potential to be a thing in 2020 as well. Yeah, I'm with Tony on that 100. Uh, percent That was one of the I think that I tweeted out a link to Fair Fight, which is Stacey Abrams' is, uh, I believe it's a nonprofit that uh, specifically goes toward fighting voter suppression and uh, fighting for the voting rights of people, particularly uh, African-Americans and people of color around the country. So uh, go find uh, go find whatever one you like best, but I would personally suggest Fair Fight. Um, Tony, kind of moving from there into an issue that uh, – is certainly related given the argument that Kyrie Irving seems to have made uh, in the call that he held on Friday night. It seems there is a group of players that is not particularly interested in returning to basketball. Sean Sharania over at our website uh, reported that Kyrie on the call said that he does not support going into Orlando. He's not with the systemic racism and the bullshit. Something smells a little fishy. Whether we want to admit it or not, we are targeted as black men every day we wake up. When I saw that Kyrie was organizing this effort, Kyrie is a vice president of the NBPA. And my first thought was, honestly, I was a little bit frustrated with Kyrie. And then... I heard out the message and then I considered what his role is within this construct uh, of the Players Association. He should be bringing uh, different perspectives to the table. And I ultimately came to the conclusion that I'm glad that he brought this up and decided to hold a wide ranging call with players. Where do you stand on kind of Kyrie's decision here to go public with uh, a call with uh, players across the NBA? Um, I, you know, I, I agree with um, that part 100%. Um, I think, you know, there are some issues um, that that are, are, you know, obviously, obviously very real um, that are bigger than basketball. Um, I think there are issues, and I know that we're going to touch on this, um, you know, as the podcast goes on. So th- this might be jumping the gun a little bit, but there are issues inside the bubble um, that really need to be talked about. And, you know, I think that the players showing um, as much of a unified front as possible um, is is a really, really, really good, is a good thing. So in, in that sense, you know, I, I agree with, you know, um, you know, raising the issues, putting the issues out on the table. And, you know, guys getting on a, on a Zoom call and, and, um, really, you know, talking amongst each other because at the end of the day, um, you know, the players, uh, the players themselves are the product. Um, you know, so it, it was good for them to, to definitely, 
um, you know, get out there and, and try to make their voices heard uh, amongst each other and to, to, you know, frankly, take a unified voice uh, to the NBA Players Association um, and then, you know, take that unified voice to the NBA itself. Where do you come down on the fact that it's Kyrie doing this? Because my initial, like, whenever I, like, saw this news was like, of course it's Kyrie. You know, he's Havoc incarnate across the NBA. And I was a little bit frustrated, too, because, like, Kyrie's not even going to the bubble. Like, Kyrie's hurt right now. They're not going to take him, I don't think. Uh, I would imagine he doesn't really want to go be in the bubble because he's hurt. But, again, the more I thought about it, the more I was like, you know, it's Kyrie. Uh, he certainly always brings a different perspective to the table, and I think these are issues worth discussing in regard to systemic racism and whether or not we should be giving people a distraction right now as a basketball community. Uh, how do you feel about Kyrie, and how do you feel about the idea of giving people a distraction right now? Well, I don't – you know, I try to – I don't think – I think the message is worthwhile, so I don't – you don't have any feelings one way or the other about the messenger. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I I think, you know, because obviously here's the thing. I, I don't agree with, you know, not, you know, the players not returning to play. Um, you know, I think, you know, just like a lot of the players think and a lot of the players I talked to over the weekend think, which is, you know, we want to return to play um, because, you know, that, that's the biggest platform that we can use to get to, 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 uh, to further the message. Um, mm-hmm. you know, especially, you know, bringing, bringing the message into, um, millions upon millions and upon millions of, of, uh, living rooms across, you know, across the country when, when the league does come back. So, um, you know, I think, um, you know, on, on, on a big level, it's, it's, you know, easy to suggest, um, not playing, uh, especially when you have a certain financial status. But I don't want to look at the financial status of the guys who are suggesting not to play. But because, you know, I think that that's – I don't want to say that's ingenuous, but, I mean, I think that, you know, the message the message from Kyrie and from Dwight Howard, um, you know, those guys are being sincere uh, in, you know, especially, right. you know, in Luke, people like Lou Williams as well. Um, I just think that, you know, there's, there are a few platforms bigger and better, uh, than to, you know, than NBA basketball, uh, to, to further the conversation and further the message. So, you know, what I want, you know, as an African American man living in this country, uh, is for the conversation that we've started to continue and continue indefinitely and continue relentlessly until um there is change and um you know i i think that you know when you look at um when you look at the message and you look at and and you look at the the messengers and you look at the conversation um i I think that there there are a few platforms uh better uh, than you know an nba platform than an nba playoff game uh to to uh to, to remind people of, of what's important, what's most important. Yeah, I mean, everyone's been talking about ratings being down across basketball. I would, imi- I would imagine that these games that they play, the ratings are going to be through the roof, and it's going to give an incredible opportunity for 
people like a, a LeBron James, uh, like a uh, I'm trying to think of other people that have been outspoken, like a Lou Williams, uh, a C.J. McCollum, a Malcolm Brogdon, a Jalen Brown, to be able to forward the message that they want to message uh, uh, on a wide scale on television as much as uh, as much as just on social media because you're hitting two very different audiences on social media, which is where people are disseminating a lot of their information currently versus on a TV audience where, uh, you know, a lot of people that watch TV certainly don't necessarily keep it, you know, locked into – you know, what people are saying on social media constantly. And that's not to say that uh, these conversations are only being had on social media. I certainly would not uh, deign to say that ever. But I do believe that hitting a very different audience, hitting a wider audience, is going to be beneficial. And I totally am, uh, I understand Kyrie and uh, particularly what Lou Williams said over the weekend about creating a distraction uh, for people to talk about the issues. But, you know, I think that if you, it creates an incredible opportunity if you choose to use it. And I think that the players are finally at the point where they want to use this platform to create genuine societal change in a way that, uh, you know, people believe is positive. Like to, to me, this is not like a left, right political issue. This is like a civil rights, equal rights issue. And we should all be able to get behind it. This is not a, this is a simple one to me. And I think that at the end of the day, if we get people like a, like a Lou Williams, for instance, to really just go on TV and explain that, I think it would be extraordinarily beneficial to a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, there to me there, there's no third side there is no no there is no but you know it's, it's right now to me it's like you know you're either um against you're either against the systemic racism that that's that's killing our country or or you're on the other side um you know so you know i think it's one of these things where um you know the, the conversation just needs to continue and you know, if you're an NBA, if I'm an, if I were an NBA player, I would a want to play, uh, because you know I would be able to to, to further my message, um, and I know that people are watching me. Um, and second, you know, and secondly, I I, I take um, I take a, a chunk of my earnings, or I take some of my earnings, and I I would would fund the movement, you know, fund the activists, and mm-hmm. and that's um, you know that that's one that's one of the bigger reasons why I'm like, you know, I hope these guys come back and play because, you know, take that money and use it for good, man. And like, and, and that's, that's to me where, where I stand uh, on the issue. And that's where I stood on the issue, you know, when it was such, when it was so talked about over the weekend, Um, you know, so in that sense, in those senses, I'm, I'm, you know, very much, uh, for, uh, guys coming back to play, you know, and also, I mean, you know, in terms of getting, trying, doing whatever we can to get the economy moving again, um, because, you know, there are a lot of Americans right now that are out of work, um, you know, and there are livelihoods that are at stake and on the line. Um, so, you know, it's, you know, there are a lot of complex issues to, um, you know, whether the league comes back or not. 
Well, there's that, and I think that there's also the idea of given the fact that I believe 29 out of 30 owners currently are white people uh, outside of Michael Jordan, obviously, that there's something to the idea of taking those owners' money and giving it to players who are more likely to put it toward causes that will ultimately be beneficial to the movement of ending police brutality, of uh, ending systemic racism, of uh, just generally creating a much more positive, inclusive reality for many uh, black people around this country. So uh, there's also the fact going along with that of the potential for labor strife uh, across the NBA between the league itself and the Players Association. If they decide not to play. The NBA will likely rip up the CBA and will try to create a document that will be less favorable to the players. So to me, I, I, I again, like I'm totally empathetic to where Kyrie is coming from and where people are coming from here. I think the downsides are substantially worse when it comes to not playing than uh, the upsides are. Well, let's 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 tackle the let's tackle the CBA, right? <laughs> because so that's, I can put real numbers on this too. By the way, that's complex. Um, okay, the the biggest the biggest number to that right now is that the current BRI is fifty fifty, and BR by BRI we're talking about basketball related revenue. That's fifty fifty. Um, a hundred percent that on the next CBA, where whenever it is, the owners are going to try to change that, <laughs> and. Perfect. And the, the, the last CBA, the, the CBA, the, the negotiation for the CBA that we are currently on, to me, is going to be cupcake compared to the negotiation of the next CBA, whenever that, whenever that negotiation comes up. Yep. So if, you know, let's say, you know, you know, just for argument's sake, you know, the players come out and say, you know what, we don't want to play. We're not hooping. This is not going to happen because, you know, I'm I'm 99.9% sure that we're playing. I um, agree with you on that for what it's worth. But let's just say, let's just say that 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 did happen. If the players force the cash cancellation of the season, the owners are going to rip up the CBA. They're going to go for um, possibly a significantly more favorable percentage of the BRI, which is the bas- all basketball-related revenue. Uh, intake. Basketball related uh, income. Right. Basketball related income. I forgot what the I stands for. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I always say basketball related revenue, but. Yeah, you know, it's, it's fine. Like it's the yeah. same, I think. Yeah. Um, and there's going to be a labor strife. There's going to be a lockout. There's going to be possibly a long lockout and a lockout in the midst of a pandemic. You know, it's going to set, you know, it's pockets are going to be hurting. You know, the the long-term ramifications for me, when you read everything, um, you know, when you, when you look at everything that can happen, um, the, the, the long-term ramifications of not playing are just, you know, they just massively outweigh the benefits of just figuring it out and, um, playing the rest of the season and, you know, trying to normalize as much as possible uh, the 20, the 2020, 2021 season. 
Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, 1.2 billion is about the estimate in terms of what lost player salary would be this year. Um, it'd be about 2 billion in terms of revenue that the league would lose out on, which would be uh, just disastrous to the league in so many ways. So I really, I really truly believe that as long as the players feel a modicum of safety in regard to playing and returning, it is in their best interest to do so. Now, that's not to say that I will begrudge the players for making a different decision if they decide to do so. I think that it's totally their right to decide not to play. And, you know, if that ends up being the case, that ends up being the case. And, uh, you know, we go from there in terms of trying to figure out what uh, the next CBA looks like. But I I do agree with you that I think, uh, and I think it's likely, by the way, I think that the best option for the players is to play at the end of the day. Now, uh, in regard to the bubble itself, where are your concerns? Uh, My concerns are generally just around testing and around the bubble itself and keeping the bubble locked down. Uh, I I have significant concerns about the bubble staying locked down and staying in a place where it's going to be uh, fully operationally an actual bubble of players and not uh, people getting in and out. Are they going to have, like, security on the edge of Disney's campus tackling anybody who tries to leave? Yeah, or, like, are they going to have, like – you know, in Australia, for instance, like they have. Like, is it um, going to be like a movie outbreak? Like, there's going to be people in mil- militia gear, you know, with you know, with with high power weapon weaponry. Right, right. Like that. That's my question. Like, I know in Australia, for instance, like whenever you enter the country of Australia right now, because they've been doing repatriation flights for people who uh, are Australian and living abroad and want to come back, they make you stay in a hotel for 14 days. And, like, right at the edges of the hotel, like, they have police officers or government officials basically saying, no, you have to stay here. And they have people, like, roaming the floors of every um, every hotel saying, like, you have to stay in your room. Like, is it going to be that serious? Is it going to be, you know, like, I, I think I saw some player compare it to, like, compare it to, like, prison or something. But, like, I don't think it's going to be that. But uh, I certainly would want to know more about how they are going to go about enforcement of the bubble. Um, I probably want to know more about that. I probably want to know more um, about what my freedoms are within the bubble. (laughs) You know, um, you know, uh, I, I definitely want to know all I can about testing. Um, I definitely want to know all I can about, you know, the ancillary pieces of the bubble, you know, which like the, the, the workers, um, housekeeping, you know, people who are going to be allowed in and outside the bubble. Um, yep. Um, you know, how, how those people will be social, social distance. Um, because right now, in terms of the coronavirus, in terms of COVID-19, Florida's it. Yep. Um, the, the state is Florida and Arizona right now are, they're, they're throwing up record numbers almost every day. Yep. Um, you know, so, it, my safety, my family's safety, um, the safety of my teammates, safety of my coaching staff, if I were an, an NBA player, um, those would be the, um, you know, no, those would be the, the, uh, the, the big, uh, concerns, uh, that I have. And also, um, you know, who from my family, you know, can I, can I, can I bring into the bubble? I, th- I would think that the players are going to, uh, 
try and go for something less stringent than not being able to have wives or girlfriends or families uh, on to the to the campus um, um, and any sooner than the first after the first round of the playoffs. Um, and I I honestly don't disagree. Um, you know because we. The players or the the teams go to the bubble right now, tentative date, July 7th. Uh, So we're looking at, you know, five weeks minimum uh, without any family or any any wives, any girlfriends or anything of that ilk. Um, You know, so I I would if I were a player, I try to they're they're going to try to negotiate that down a little bit. And and I, I honestly don't blame them for that. No, I certainly don't either. I think it's understandable that you would want uh, wives, girlfriends, kids there uh, as well. Like, I think that it's uh, it's a reasonable expectation that you can live some semblance of a life uh, within this bubble uh, outside of basketball. Like, I don't think people are just going to want to stay in and play video games literally all day because, like, I would even imagine that uh, there could be some sort of, like, limited – uh, amount that you can move around like are these pools going to be open uh every day to go out and hang out like that seems like a potential way to spread the virus like jumping in a pool with someone else um who's cleaning this stuff like you said uh, how often are the people cleaning uh rooms and doing services at the hotels how often are they getting tested there's a lot to be worked out and i think that i I would feel most comfortable knowing as much about that as the NBA could release publicly. Uh, I think that it would make sense for the NBA to release as much as it can about that topic publicly, um, just in the interest of people feeling like players are going to be safe. Yeah, um, the safety all around. And that's the thing. I mean, you know, are the players just going to be on the on the campus or is the or, you know, is, is are the campus is the campus open to other people as well? Um, you know, that's the question I have, you know, um, I know that they're allowed to, 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 to go around and, and, you know, eat from the different restaurants and, you know, do a variety of stuff. And listen, the Disney campus is, is really massive. So, I mean, it's big enough, um, you know, that people are going to be able to, it's not going to be claustrophobic, but, you know, as many concessions, if I'm going to be some one place for, you know, let's say you're on a, you're, you're a Milwaukee Buck or a Los Angeles Clipper or a Los Angeles Laker, if you're going to be one place for, you know, almost three months, I mean, you, you want as many, uh, as many safe concessions, uh, as humanly possible. So, you know, that, that's what, where the negotiation is. And, you know, I think that all of this stuff that a lot of the stuff that we've seen, uh, in the last week uh, that have come out ha- has been a negotiation. So um, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Let's go from kind of questions that we have about the bubble to the things that you're most looking forward to when basketball comes back, because you and I both agree that we do think basketball is going to come back. What are you most excited about, about the NBA returning right now? Um, That's a good question. Um, I, I think I'd be – you know, excited about, um, you know, just watching a basketball game where I don't know what, what the ending is going to be. <laughs> um, you know, I, my mind is still kind of elsewhere, um, than, you know, than on basketball. Um, yeah. You know, so it's, it's, you know, I'm not, 
I haven't looked at it with the anticipation that I will look at, you know, a typical October start to a season. Um, but I, I, I do think that, you know, once it does start, once it does start up again, I mean, you know, I think that there are things that I'll be, that I'm looking forward to. Um, I think the biggest thing I look forward to is that I'd be really, really excited to, to be able to do my job <laughs> on a regular basis again. Um, you know, just being, being able to, you know, have something to report on, like, you know, the Jazz won, the Utah Jazz won last night or the Utah Jazz lost last right. night. Right. You know, this guy dropped 30 or this guy has seven turnovers. I mean, just, you know, basic, uh, everyday basketball reporting, um, that I haven't, I frankly haven't done since March 11th. Um, you know, so I, I'd be really excited to have that return to, to my life. Yeah. And I mean, you're closer to the COVID stoppage than probably any other reporter save four or five that were there with you that night in Utah or was it was in Oklahoma city. I'm sorry. Were you, you were actually in Oklahoma city traveling with the team that night. Yes, I was. And so, yeah, go ahead. I'm I sorry. Would, well, I was just going to say, like, I would imagine that like this stuff, this shit has to hit closer to home for you than it does for any, like, for instance, like I, none of my friends other than uh, none of my friends have been diagnosed with COVID-19. Like uh, you're probably the closest person to me that even had like, you know, connection to someone that we knew was diagnosed with coronavirus. So like, I, I can only imagine on your end how difficult that process is and was to even uh, contextualize within what is your typical day-to-day job and what is your typical day-to-day life. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. <laughs> and it was, uh, you know, it was, it was definitely a whirlwind, um, you know, those whole two weeks. I mean, it's something that, you know, I'll never forget and, and um, I'll never be able to put out of, I'm, I'll never be able to put out of my mind. Um, you know, it's, I, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, beyond that, I've been really blessed. Um, you know, so far, knock on wood, me and my family have, are, have been healthy. Um, you know, but it, it was one of those things where I think that, um, it was, it was a real wake up call and it was, it was, um, it was scary for lack of a better, for lack of a better term. Um, you know, just, you know, having to take that test and, you know, having the, having a waiting period to, to figure out, you know, whether it's going to be positive or negative and, you know, having to tell my mom and having to tell my loved ones. Um, you know, so hopefully I could, Hopefully I keep staying healthy. I mean, that's, that's, you know, something I've been praying for every day, um, you know, and, and, you know, hopefully, you know, as a pandemic, we can, we as a country can make it through this and figure out a way to, to, to kind of limit this thing and, and kind of flatten the curve. Totally, totally agree. Tony, you are someone that typically has incredible NBA draft takes. And I know we're transitioning from something that was, very difficult in your life, but I know that the draft is something that you enjoy. And I want to move toward that part of things because you are someone that loves the NBA draft as much as I do. I want what your hottest, most absurd NBA draft take is right now. My most absurd NBA draft take is my favorite player. My favorite player in the draft is Obi Coppin. Tell me why. Is that too hot for you? No, I, 
I, I mean, like favorite player, yes. I have Obi at like number four on my board, though. I would. I think it. I would draft Obi number one. Tell me why, because I think that's a reasonable opinion to have, and it's something that I've certainly uh, discussed with people in front offices. You are not wholly alone in that feeling, but I would love to hear for you why you love Obi Toppin that much. Okay, so you know, Obi's twenty-two, so. Um, his his ceiling is perceived to be lower than than that of somebody like Anthony Edwards or James Wiseman or Lamelo Ball, but his floor is probably higher than all of those guys. And I think that he's a uh, an almost prototypical NBA big right now. He can shoot the three, he can get out in transition. Um, uh, he's a good passer. Um, I think that he's somebody who um, has Potential as a rim protector. Um, he's got to get better out on the floor defensively, but I think that he's got upside there as well. Um, like if you put Obi Toppin right now on Golden State, you know that'd be a really, he he really fit in really well there. Um, so you know I think I you know I just really I just really think Obi Toppin's a good player, and I think that he's a guy that that I I. I hold in this draft. I, I kind of hold in a little bit of high regard, and I love Isaac Okoro as well. Love Isaac. We'll we'll, t- we'll talk about Okoro in a second, but I do want to talk about Toppin because I think that a lot of people are overthinking Obi Toppin because basically everything that Obi Toppin did this year at Dayton is translatable to the NBA court tomorrow. Uh, on offense, at least this is. We'll talk about defense in a second. On offense, what Obi Toppin does is he is a legitimate. Stretch big man who can knock down shots. His release is very quick. He has a very smooth release. I don't really have uh, concerns about him becoming a poor shooter at some point. Uh, He's obviously an explosive leaper who is going to finish drastically above the rim. To me, when I look at Obi Toppin, I see a a lot of the things that make John Collins very valuable right now in the NBA. John Collins is very valuable, uh, regardless of what people Think about his defense. He is awesome. I have a project coming next week. I, there are very few young guys I would take over John Collins. Maybe might be like 20 of them, something like that. Obi Toppin has basically all of those same skills. And I think that entering the league, he has more of an ability to put the ball on the deck than what Collins did entering the league. Now, he's about the same age as John Collins, uh, just in general, like in life. So I totally understand the argument for lacking upside, but the thing about Toppin is that he has gotten better at basketball for each of the last four years. Uh, This is not a situation where this kid has stagnated at all. He is continually getting better, and his growth trajectory is continually positive to where I don't know if we should really put like a – put a top on his ceiling on offense. Like if you told me Obi Toppin averages 22 and nine rebounds at some point in the NBA, I don't think that would stun me to be honest. His skill set is that advanced. His explosiveness athletically is that real. But see, here's the thing for me to, for Obi Toppin to have value as a top two pick or a number one pick. I don't even think he has to average 22 and nine. I think he can be at 17, 10, three assists, two steals, a block shot, 35 to 37% from from three, um, um, 50% from the field, and 70 70 to 75% from the line. Valuable player. That's a really good player. 
you know, a really, now. really good player. And I think that if he's that, he probably does need to bring real defensive value to be worth the number one overall pick. Right. But I, I really don't think even that's his ceiling. Like, I, I think that there, I think that what you're saying is that there are very real outcomes that are positive outcomes, even if he doesn't hit his ceiling. And I think that that's really important to consider in a draft like this, where there really are very few guys that are sure things. Like this, this draft is kind of a nightmare. Yeah, <laughs> I think so as well. Like I, I, I know, don't because it's, I, it's funny because my favorite guys in the draft aren't the lottery guys. My favorite part of the draft right now, my favorite guys. I, maybe I'm looking at this from a Utah Jazz perspective because I cover the Jazz. But my favorite guys in this draft are guys who who aren't, you know, who aren't slated to go in a lottery. So, like, my favorite player is in this draft. My favorite singular player is always hopping. But, like, I love Patrick Williams. I love Aaron Neesmith. Um, I, I know he – this guy's a little bit, um, you know, people vary a little bit on Tyrese Halliburton. But I really love him as well. Um, I think Tyrese is definitely going in the top ten. Yeah, yeah I think he's definitely a lottery. But yeah. um, you know, I love Sadiq Bay. Like mm-hmm. I love Sadiq Bay. Um, you know, the Ramsey kid from Texas Tech, you know, you know, people like that. Um and Kyra Lewis, you know, people like that. You know, those are guys that, you know, aren't necessarily selected to go lottery. Well, Halliburton will be. But other than that, um, you know, but those are guys that I look look at, and I'm like, okay, you know, the, the Jazz can, because I'm looking at it from a Utah Jazz perspective. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Paul Reed, he's another one. Um, you know, but you know, there are a lot of guys. To me, I think that the depth of this draft uh, has gotten better over time. Um, even if the top of the draft is so, you know, it's it's going to be hit or miss because. You know, where do you select Cole Anthony? Because, you know, I think that he has a lot of holes in this game. Uh, where do you take, and I know, I know he's, he's fallen from a lottery, uh, projection, but where do you take Nico Mannion? Because he's, he's got a lot of holes in his game. Where do you take Vernon Carey? Somebody who's, you know, a walking 2010 in college, but, you know, his game doesn't really fit, you know, the, his game doesn't really fit the, uh, um, the prototypical NBA game in this generation, you know, like Vernon Carey is probably playing basketball 10 to 20 years too late. Yep. Um, you know, so those are the, there are so many questions that, you know, I have that I have to be answered, you know, um, and it'll be interesting to see. Before I get there, Tony, I just want to tell you, I live in Los Angeles, but I'm a big fan of watching, uh, you know, French Netflix, Australian Netflix, a lot of different marketplaces. Uh, it used to be, a pain for me because I used to have to do uh, a lot of different stuff and figure out ways to mask my location and everything like that. Can I, but, can I just tell you that my daughter walked, my 16 year old just walked by me and she's mad because she can't play her music because we're doing a podcast and just, she just kept looking at me. Yeah. You're in, you're Carry in some on. trouble when we get off this. You're Carry in some on. real trouble. Just carry on. <laughs> you are, you're in some real trouble, but one way to distract your daughter could be to get ExpressVPN, which gives you access to a bunch of different uh, you know, regions of Netflix. And you can get movies that you can't typically see on Netflix. Uh, so what do you do? You fire up ExpressVPN, you change your location to a different country, 
and uh, you just queue up Netflix at the end of the day. It works on your computer, your phone, your router, uh, your iPad, uh, whatever you're looking to do and whatever you're looking to watch, you can use ExpressVPN. Uh, I also just have ExpressVPN on 24-7 because it encrypts all my data and it keeps it safe from hackers. Uh, use my special link today to get three months free at expressvpn.com slash theory, after which you can sign up for uh, for Netflix for whatever you want to watch NBA league pass next season. Once league pass gets going, uh, that is E X P R E S S V P N.com slash theory T H E O R Y for three months free with a one year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash theory to learn more. Yeah, Tony, you're, you're in some real trouble uh, when you get off this podcast. You're going to have to, you're going to have to figure out how to uh, explain to your daughter that, you know, she can't listen to music. Uh, it all decibels at all times. <laughs> like, just turn it down to like six, please. Can I get six? <laughs> <laughs> um, you brought up Isaac Okoro earlier. And before we get into some of the jazz guys, I want to bring up uh, Okoro because I find that interesting. Uh, the more that I watched, and I had Isaac Okoro as a first rounder coming into the year. I think I was one of the very few people who did that. Or I might have him at like 31 or something like that. The reason that I liked Isaac Okoro was many of the reasons that people like him currently. He's a great defender. He uh, has incredible athleticism. He can handle the ball a little bit, but I think that that needs to improve. He has a great frame and great athleticism that he should continue to grow into. I worry that we've gone a little bit too far. Like, I, I think that, you know, having talked around, there are teams that are considering taking Okoro at, like, number three, number four, number five. And that seems drastically high to me. I understand that it is a weak draft, but this is still a guy that has very poor shooting mechanics that shot like 26% from three this year and doesn't really have a high free throw percentage to back it up. Let, let's give, him, let's give Isaac his flowers. He shot 28%. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. He shot 28% from three. Uh, yeah, I just worry that, like, we're projecting a lot onto a guy that we just haven't seen. Like, even at lower levels, like Tyrese Maxey shot 29 30% from three this year. At lower levels, Tyrese Maxey was like a 35 36% three-point shooter that took a ton of his shots off of pull-ups. I have real reason to believe that at some point Tyrese Maxey is going to be a shooter. I don't know that I have seen the same reason for optimism in Isaac Okoro's shooting ability. So right now, I mean, that that's the biggest concern that I have with Isaac Okoro is that. And by the way, I have Okoro at like 11 or 12 on my board. Like I, I, I think he probably seven. should go high. I have him around seven or eight. Because the things that he does, I mean, he's he's got real intangibles. I mean, that guy plays hard every second, every every minute of the game. Yep. And and he's, I think he's a guy who can affect the game without scoring. Yep. And and to me, and for me, that has real value. Now the problem is, if you can't make a shot in the NBA in in today's day and age, you basically wreck your team's offense. Like you basically wreck your entire team's offense. I saw the Jack. I saw Ricky Rubio, and I don't want to put this all on Ricky Ricky Rubio, but I saw, you know, just Ricky Rubio's non-ability to have gravity wreck Utah's entire offense 
for an entire playoff series last year. You know, what what Houston did to the Jazz was they took Chris Paul and put him in the lane for the entire series. And if Ricky Rubio hit eight three-pointers, that's fine. They, Houston was willing to shake Ricky Rubio's hands because they were just not going to go out and guard him, period. And that's, that's what it is in the NBA these days. Like, you have to have some sort of, of gravity. Teams have to respect your ability to make a shot for you to, 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 to have value. And if you can't make a shot, you better be honest. Um, or you better be Rudy Gobert. You better be so physically imposing at the rim that it doesn't matter whether you can make a shot or not. And yeah, we we even see Ben Simmons struggle with this a little right. bit. Right. Like, We've still even seen in, Ben Simmons struggle with this. Ben yeah, Simmons. Yeah, like I'm is, still enormously high on Ben Simmons, and I think he's going to be a future MVP candidate. I don't think he'll ever win one, but like I think that he'll be in those discussions. But right now, based on where his game is, he still struggles enough around the rim to where teams can't just uh, or can just like drop off of him and it doesn't hurt them enough. Right. You know, so, I mean, that's where Okoro's got it. That, that's, that's where Okoro's um, upside is. If he can get to be, if you tell me that Isaac Okoro is going to be a 35 to 38% NBA, NBA three-point shooter, I would take him in the top five because I think that he, I think that yep. the rest of his game uh, indicates that he has a chance to be a star at the next level. But yep. if he stays at 28%, then he's Michael K. Gilchrist. Mm-hmm. It's hard. You know, it's really hard to make a living at the NBA level without being able to shoot. That's why, like, I have Devin Vassell one spot ahead of Isaac Okoro on my board right now because I know that Devin's going to shoot it, and I know that he's going to defend at a high level in a team construct. And for me, while Okoro's ceiling is higher than Devin's because he just has that kind of athleticism and that kind of power and switchability that Devin doesn't have, I just have a lot more faith in Devin translating. No. I mean, we've, we said all this. Now, let's, let's be real. Um, or Crow is the proto, when I say prototypical, he is the prototypical defender at the NBA level. Yep. I can see him being able to guard all five spots. So a little bit short in terms of arm length to be able to guard the five. Like I think six, he, like he has a six point, he, he has a six foot eight and a half wingspan. So yeah. you're right. But nobody's posting him up at the five right? because he's going to fight you tooth and nail on the post. So what I will say is, though, he definitely put on a lot of weight from end of senior year to start of freshman year at Auburn. It seemed like he got, I don't want to, like almost like a little bit top heavy to me. And there were times where guys could kind of blow by him a little bit. Just Mm -hmm. this quicker guards in college could blow by him a little bit. Now, for me, when I look at that and see a guy who, like, gets a lot physically stronger, like, in his upper body, it says to me, like, oh, yeah, it's like an SEC training staff that focuses a lot on strength as opposed mm-hmm. to, like, basketball um, basketball athleticism, right? And I think that that's probably fixable, especially with where we saw Okoro defend at lower levels. Uh, he did have that quickness. I there is like a small concern for me though about him losing quickness as he puts on weight based on what we saw this year. Yeah, I think so as well, but I I think that once you one I'm it's not so much of a concern to me because I think that once he gets to uh once we're talking about getting to an NBA 
um, getting into an MBA system, getting into to 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 an MBA. Um, uh, what's the word I want to eat? Once he eats uh, at an MBA level, uh, once he gets yep. MBA training, um, MBA development, I think that he's I think that he's going to be fine. I think the teams are going to um, target which weight, what weight that he should be at. And I think that they're going to get him to, to that weight. Uh, and I think that he, you know, he's got a body that can, can sustain a lot of muscle as well. Um, and, and teams know where his, his, his bread is going to be buttered for lack of a better term. They know that, you know, he's a guy that's going to, uh, that, you know, that needs to be able to, to, to be very switchable, uh, throughout the perimeter and throughout, uh, different positions. Um, so I think that to, I, I think that that's not as big um, a worry for me. Um, I think that he's he's gonna be. I think that he's gonna be fine. I think he's such a good defender um, that you know he's he's and and that's one of the reasons why I take him top ten because even if he never be, even if he's never able to shoot, I know that that I know that Isaac Coral is gonna be um, an NBA rotation player. Uh, almost from day one. I don't know that about a lot of the guys in this in this draft in this lottery. I agree with you on that. Like I, I have real concerns on like Anthony Edwards. Like the more that I watch Anthony Edwards, I'm like, I totally get the upside, and I think that if you want to roll the dice in the top four on a guy that just has such immense physical tools that he could become a superstar, I totally get doing it. I think that, like, there are situations where I probably would do that. Like, if I was Atlanta, I would probably be willing to roll the dice on him, uh, maybe even at number one. But, man, like, there are a lot of holes. Like, the jump shot, the consistency needs to get ironed out. His defense is an abomination right now. He is so bad on defense. Like, it, it was just not a concern for him at all. His ball handling, his technical handle, I don't think is that strong. Uh, he has yeah, his, his first, ball handle is not great. He has a great first step that allows him to blow by defenders pretty regularly at the college level, and that's why he could get into the paint. But his technical craft of ball handling is not that strong, and that's where you start to run into problems at the NBA level. I think the biggest thing with Anthony Edwards right now is that he makes he makes tough contested shots, um, yeah. and he can create. I think his biggest strength right now is that he can create at an NBA level against the clock today. Shot clock runs down to five. You need to get a, you need to get a good shot off. You can give the ball to Anthony Edwards right now and he can get you a shot. Um and I think that that's his 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 biggest his biggest strength right now. Like you said, his defense was an afterthought. Um but That's a nicer way to put it than how I put it. <laughs> <laughs> it's an afterthought, but I think that that's, you know, that's a product of no, I mean, I don't know why Anthony Edwards is going to Georgia, right? Like, go to Kentucky because, listen, I'm not the biggest John Calipari fan, but that man is going to make you defend, and if he does, and if yeah. and if you don't defend, he's going to hold you accountable and sit you. Like, right? To me, and by Anthony, the way, like you know, you know what? Like, I'll go to bat for Tom Crean. Like, Tom Crean has a great developmental track record. Uh, for guards, you look at guys like Victor Oladipo. Yeah, guys but, like he Wade, but he can't like, hold Anthony Edwards accountable. He's not going to sit Anthony Edwards. <laughs> no, he he just actually can't do it because then he, he just can't do it. Like so, I mean, if you know, I mean, if 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 I'm a top fifty prospect 
And I'm trying to make the NBA. Yeah, I'd go with Tom. I would think about going with Tom Crane. I probably wouldn't for other reasons, but for development's sake, I'd probably go with Tom Crane. I'd probably think about going with Tom Crane. But, you know, right now there there are two guys right now that if you're a top five prospect, a top five NBA draft prospect, you know, they can hold you accountable. And that's John Calipari and that's Coach K. You know, so, I mean, you know, Tom Izzo can do the same thing, even though his teams aren't typically as talented. But, I mean, if, you know, to me, Anthony, I was wasted a year in Georgia. You know, he just basically yeah. ran up and down the floor and did what he wanted. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. you know, to me, if, if you're a guy that's that's that has to go to college for a year and you're a can't-miss NBA prospect, man, just go somewhere where, you know, you there's competition. Go somewhere, I mean, go somewhere where there's internal competition. Go somewhere where, you know, the the guy that's coaching you is going to a develop you and b hold you accountable. Yep. You yeah, know? I think that's a really great point. I think that's a really really great point. The last question I'm going to ask you before we get out of here. I know that you have some second round prospect that you really like. Give me the second round prospect that you love. Um, you didn't want to you didn't want to open that Pandora's box to me, man. Give me a couple. Right. Give me some. I'm going to give you a couple. I'm going to give you Zeke Naji. I think he's going. I think he's going fifteen to twenty-five. He might. He, he might slide. See, that's the thing. Um, this draft is a jumbled mess. It's like, a jumbled it, mess. Yeah. I like. I like Paul Reed. Um, now, okay, all right. This guy I know is going second round. So this is this is probably my favorite second round guy, Peyton Pritchard. I love that pick. That's my guy. I have Peyton okay. at thirty-four on my board. I love that pick because he. He is going to be a – he's going to be an NBA rotation player. You know who I have Peyton Pritchard ahead of? I have him ahead of Nico Mannion. Uh, I have him uh, – people, <laughs> people ain't ready for that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> people are not ready for that conversation, man. You open in a, you open in a real box. People ain't ready for that conversation. I really strongly consider having Malachi Flynn over Nico Mannion. I wouldn't go that far. Uh, Malachi to me is not a point guard. He's a, just a shooter. Man, he got way better, though, at actually leading. He did. He did. But he's to me, to me, Malachi Flynn, and, like, I'm not high on Marcus Howard at all, and I think that Malachi Flynn is, and Marcus Howard are in the same kind of ballpark. Malachi... I think Malachi's probably three inches bigger. I think he's stronger. And he just, like, fights in a way defensively that uh, that Marcus Howard just didn't at Marquette. Yeah. Uh, Malachi won the Mountain West Defensive Player of the Year, and I thought that that was a joke. Like, I can't really defend that in any way. Um, like, I think Matt Mitchell on his own team is better than he is defensively. But I will say that, like, Malachi this year was at least a positive defensively in a way that, like, we haven't seen from Marcus Howard. Let, let's talk about a, a, a state of Utah prospect. Um, where do state you of Utah? A state of Utah prospect. Ooh, I, I think I know where you're going. Okay. Where, where am I going? You're going Sam Merrill? Yes, I'm going Sam Merrill. Where do we stand Sam Merrill? I think he's going to get picked. I think, I think, he, I think he is an NBA player offensively right now. I think I agree with you on that, honestly. He's so exceptional at shooting off of screens. He's so and good at shooting off of screens. The more I watch this film now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be totally transparent here. 
I've known Sam Merrill since he was 13 years old, and I've covered his games. Uh, shout out to Bottle for High. I've covered his games, you know, since he was, you know, a sophomore in high school. Um, but I've seen him just – I've seen him blossom, and the more I look at him, I, I, I didn't think before this year that he could be an NBA point guard, but I think at least offensively – I think at least offensively, I think that he can be an NBA point guard. I think that he can run. I think he's terrific in pick and roll. I think he's he's. Here's the thing, though. I don't know if he has to because yeah. I got told I got told he's like six five now. He is six five. And like not like oh he's listed at six five. Like I got told he's like he's actually six five now. I, I still even at six five, I still want him running the point because that's where he's got. You know, a physical size advantage. Size for your position means a lot. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think he can run. I don't think he can run point as like we said. We had these conversations with Landry Shamit, right? Like you have to have such a ridiculous level of athleticism to play point at the NBA level now. And I just worry that similarly to Landry Shamit, you're he's just not going to be able to get that kind of burst on the ball. That he needs. Well, the question for me is who who can, who can he guard on an NBA floor? Who can he guard on an NBA floor? He's going to be best chasing guys like Shamit around. Yeah, um, like chasing those like off ball movers and shooters because um, those guys do tend to be. And he's he's pretty good at this as well. This isn't just like me, you know, uh, generalizing. But uh, these guys tend to be best at guarding their own kind of skilled players where they have just such innate basketball knowledge about how they run off of screens that they tend to be really good at guarding those kind of players. Um, Sam Merrill can do that. Like Sam Merrill can actually guard off ball and guard uh, chase guys off of screens. I I just worry uh, about anyone else. I I don't know if he can guard anyone else. And by the way, we saw that concern with Andrew Shamit this year too. Uh, Shamit, didn't get as much playing time this year because I thought he struggled defensively. Daughter, daughter just came in the room again. Looked, saw that I was still on the podcast and rolled her eyes again. <laughs> we we only got we only got five more minutes. Five more. The Hold guys, on, Kelsey. You'll be able to blast your music soon enough. We got we got five minutes here, and I just want to shout out Chris Smith. Uh, are you Chris, a Chris Smith guy? My guys too. Chris Smith was one of my guys that I, that I was that I was thinking about second round, Jordan Noir as well. Yeah, I really like Smith more than I like Wara. Um, Smith just has, like, the kind of prototypical athleticism in right. terms of – Right, size, uh, length, and athleticism. But to yeah, me, when I watch fluidity. Chris Smith, but when I watch Chris Smith, my question is why the heck is he, isn't he better than what he is? Yeah, so for two and a half years, that was my question. If you go back and watch the last – basically all of Pac-12 play this year – he figured it out. He finally figured it out in terms of how he has to move, how he has to uh, use his frame, use his length. Uh, he figured out that he has to take over games instead of just letting games come to him. He kind of he took that leap mentally that I think was necessary. One one more guy that I think can be a star if he can learn to shoot, Ashton Higgins. Yeah, that's asking a lot in terms of uh, if he can him learn to shoot. If he can learn to shoot. Because he locks up. Turns it over a lot, too, though. That, that's my – as much as the shooting, I'm worried about the turnovers. Um, you you can kind of coach the turnovers a little bit, you know. Yeah. Especially if you have a star on your team. Like, okay, let's say you're you're the Utah Jazz. 
you can't draft Ashton Hagens and put him next to Donovan Mitchell and say, hey, you know what, Donovan handles the ball a lot, just just kind of fill in the gaps, defend, be a 38% three-point shooter. Okay, that's asking a lot. Man, he has to shoot in a way that I don't know if he can shoot. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a question for you uh, on where do you stand on Jay Scrub? Oh, man, that's a hard one. That's a hard one for me because, like, to me, he almost has, like, an Adrian Dantley, Timmy Allen type of game. Um, and That doesn't work in today's that's, NBA. That's, I think, 20, that's 20 years too late. I think he has a little bit more uh, as, like, a secondary pick-and-roll playmaker. Um, I saw him this summer at Nike Basketball Academy, so I have seen him live. He is – Interesting as a ball handler, but not quite good enough yet. He is interesting as a shooter, but the shooting fell off a cliff this year uh, compared to where it was as a freshman. So where he falls in as a shooter, I think, is going to be important. How much he is able to develop his tightness of handle, I think, is going to be important. But here's the thing. He's 19, 20 years old. And he is very skilled. He has very real athletic fluidity. He's six foot six with a six ten wingspan. He has very real tools to where I would love to get him on a two-way contract. I don't know that I would love to get him on a guaranteed contract. So would you draft him second round or no? Close. Close for me. Um, probably like 52 to 60 I'd be willing to draft him, yeah. Uh, and if we get to 52, and 52 to 60 and I'm Jay Scrubs' agent, I'm telling people don't draft him depends on the situation like if it's utah i would say yes because i think utah has a really good developmental track record if it's um miami or toronto yes draft me if you're going to give me a two-way like i'm willing to accept that um but he's going to get a two-way if it's the knicks i'm saying no he's good enough that he's going to get a two-way regardless like that's the that's his that's his floor to me Um, right but my point is like if it's a team that that you want to go to anyway they right. just take it and draft it. You know what I right. mean? Right. But there are probably only 10 of those teams. That's like if the Detroit Pistons want to draft, I'm like, nah, man. Keep it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't draft me. Let me, go, let me go where I know that I can, can develop. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Hopefully with Troy Weaver, it looks like he's going to get the Pistons job, according to Vince Goodwill. Hopefully that changes, coming from the Oklahoma City scheme where they have – reasonably good developmental track record, although I think it's a little bit overrated over the course of the last five years. Um, hopefully that changes a little bit with him coming in at the top. All right, two seniors before we get out of here. And then we get out of here. Two seniors that – that uh, um, Mama Didikate, Dikite, I'm sorry, and Cassius Winston. Where are you at on those two guys? Mamadi – I can't – I struggle with him because he's very skinny and I don't think he's going to be able to handle his weight on the glass. Um, I just don't really see that. Uh, and he has to play center because he doesn't have ball skills to play the four in today's NBA. Um, Cassius Winston I think will be a good backup point guard for sure. Um, there is some like Devontae Graham upside with him because he is just such a ridiculous pull-up shooter. I think I would consider him around 35. Or so. I think I would take him around 35. That's high for me. I don't know who he defends. I, and I agree with that. Um, and I'm not sure about his athleticism. 
you know, he had he had trouble. I mean, as good as he was in college, he had trouble beating people off the dribble and creating his own shot at the college level. Yeah, it, like I just watched a ton of Devontae Graham tape trying to figure out how that happened <laughs> like over the last couple of years. You know what? Couple I, will, I will tell you this. Um, I know agents are supposed to say this, but Ty Sullivan last year pre-draft process was – I mean, well, two years ago pre-draft process, he was like, yo – Devontae's good. He's good. He's in our workouts. I see him in the in the workouts. He's really, you know, he's killing people. Like he's going to be good. Not, I, I just kept saying, oh yeah, Ty, he's 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 going he's going <laughs> okay. And in the back of my mind, I was thinking, yeah, second round. And then he turned out to just be a killer. Like he's like Damian Lillard, bite. <laughs> yeah, like the the big thing with him is that he is a ridiculous pull-up shooter who can just come around a screen and pull quick. Like, it's that quick twitch, quick release jumper, and it's going to go in, like, 38 to 40% of the time. And then on top of that, like, you can't just be that. What he does as the added on top of it, because he was literally the worst finisher at the basket in the NBA this year, and the floater game wasn't very good either. What he does on top of it is he's an exceptional passer and decision-maker. Uh, and I think that that's also where Cassius Winston stands out. He's a really, really good passer and decision maker to where I wonder if there's some of that, even if he can't get all the way to the basket, even if he struggles at the second level, is he just going to be such a good pull-up shooter and decision maker that it just overwhelms that? Yeah. I will say I think he's a very good pick-and-roll player. Right. And he can pull from anywhere. Like He can pull up like it's nothing. Yeah, I agree. The last guy I want to ask you about. And then we'll really get out of here. Is Cassius Stanley? Where do you fall on Cassius? Can't shoot, man. I don't love the jumper either, and I really struggle with it. I kind of think he does a lot of similar stuff to Isaac Okoro, though. Yeah, so I think Cassius Stanley, I think the Jazz could do worse with their first round pick than the draft Cassius Stanley. Uh, especially if it's going to be in 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 the mid twenties, and and this is why he's not ready this year. He won't be ready next year <laughs> either. But I don't know that I agree with that for what it's worth. Well, his athletic, he he's such a great athlete that he could be ready. Right. Um, right. Like he's so, physically ready to play right now. Right. He's physically ready to play. He's got a lot of work to do on his game. But like his athleticism can get him on the floor. I, I do agree. I'll amend that a little bit. Um, but you know, for, for the, for the jazz, I think if I'm the jazz, I'm like, okay, I want to go boom or bust here because I can bet on our tremendous player development and we're picking in the mid twenties and we have, um, we have, um, we have two stars, um, who aren't in their prime, but we have an aging cast around them. So let's try and figure out somebody that we can develop into a star. Not a rotation player, a star. And right. if you look at it that way, there are two guys who stand out who can, who are, who are, who, well, more than two guys, but Cassius, Cassius Stanley and Josh Green, both of those guys stand out to me. Now, Jaden McDaniels is another one, but Jaden's got so much stuff with him that, you know, it's, it's like more than basketball with him, right? Because, like, if you take Jaden McDaniels, you got to go to him and be like, are you comfortable playing in the G League for a year or two? Right. Because that's – and he's got to be comfortable with that. Um, the – I 
like I think I I think if you're the Jazz, I think somebody like um I, I think somebody like uh like Patrick Williams would be almost ideal, but he's 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 probably gonna be gone by the time the Jazz pick. Um I think Sadiq Bay is somebody, but he's probably gone by the time the Jazz pick as well. But if you're the Jazz, you want to pick somebody who who's who's got real upside because you want to try to develop that you 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 want to develop that try to develop that person. What do you think of Tyrell Terry in that regard? I like him because um, to me that's actually a really interesting fit with Donovan Mitchell. I do. I think that that's a a, a real. I think he's a real fit with with Donovan Mitchell. I thought that he was really good at Stanford this year. Um, you know, and I think that. The the big thing with Tyrell is that he's got he's got real size for a point guard, and I love that. But he's uh, height. He's also like 160 pounds. Yeah, real height. <laughs> yeah, real height for a point guard. Um, and I think the Jazz are are going to be in the market for a point guard uh, this year because I don't think they're going to have Emmanuel Moutier back. Um, not because they don't want him back, but because they don't have his um, they don't have his bird rights. Manuel was good this year. Manuel was very Emmanuel. The Jazz were extremely happy with Emmanuel Moutier this year. Extremely. Yep. Like he came in, he bought in defensively. Um, he, you know, he tried to eliminate a lot of the stuff that got him in trouble um, in Denver and New York. Um, and he was really good. And, I've, and obviously, there's no Bojan Bogdanovich, so you know he's he's going to um, be back in the rotation for the playoffs. Um, Problem is they don't have they just don't have his they don't have his bird rights. Yeah. So you know he was playing I believe he's playing on a veteran minimum this year. Yep. So they they can only offer him like three million dollars a year. Like that's that might be enough. Somebody that comes in with five million dollars. Yeah, I right. don't know if anyone's going to do that for Moutier this year though. He wasn't so overwhelmingly good to where I think someone might like. Don't get me wrong, someone might sell themselves on the fact that he's still twenty four. And shot it reasonably well this year and bought in defensively. I don't. I don't know that that's going to happen though. I think there's a chance Utah gets him back. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's really going to be interesting. Where do you stand on Tyrell? I like him uh, as a late first rounder. I think that some of the uh, some of the hype has gotten a little high for me. Uh, there are people who have him as like a top, have him as like a lottery guy, and I can't do that necessarily because I really do worry about the physical strength and um, the way his body will develop. But I think his passing has gone very underrated. I think he's a, he sees the floor and is a a very unselfish player. Uh, I think that his uh, shooting is just incredible. I mean, he's arguably the best shooter in this class. That's that's the biggest, that's the biggest thing for Putting him in the backcourt with Donovan Mitchell, like he is—he's knocked down. Like the guy that I don't know if he's I've the best been, shooter in the class. I think Neesmith is the best shooter in the class. That's a real case you could make for sure. Um, but the guy I've been like comparing Tyrell to is like—well, I think there's upside beyond this because I think he could play like a real point guard at some point, maybe. But I think he's almost like a Steve Kerr, like John Paxony kind of guy. Right, as and much you want to put that guy next to Donovan Mitchell. Right, as much as he is like true point guard domineering type, and right. that's fine. Like I, I don't mean that as a negative. Like those guys won titles for reasons. Like I think they're actually valuable. Right. Nah, Neesmith reminds me of Buddy Hill, man. <laughs> I love Buddy. 
I love Buddy so much. Yeah. I, I, I just want the best things for Buddy Healed. Tony, tell the people you've got coming up. Tell the people where they can find your work. You can find me at The Athletic, and I post my work at T. Jones on the NBA on Twitter and, and on Instagram. I'm at T. Jones Athletic. Go to The Athletic. Keep us uh, – Keep us employed over there. That'd be great. Keep us employed. Absolutely keep us employed, please. Subscribe to The uh, Athletic. Go subscribe. Uh, I'll be back maybe at some point this week. Like I said, there's some things going on in the back end of the podcast that I'm still trying to figure out right now. Uh, but until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.